Say what? Say what radio show? With no agenda. It's always a surprise. But if we're not having fun, we're doing something wrong. And welcome to Say What. It is August 5th, 2023. My name is Nancy Hopkins. With me is Walt Silva and Mona Radler. Dolly is off on an excursion with her family, I think to Orlando. And um, I I was telling uh, these guys, you know, I'm kind of, well, I'm totally amazed because I've been doing replays of different times. And at times I didn't, I wasn't sure that Dolly was going to live through the, <laughs> the, the the episode we were doing, the show we were doing, you know. And yet now she doesn't have any heart pain after 20 years of heart pain. And she's off at some hotel getting massages and walking. I don't, I don't know. She's, she's doing a lot of things and having a very good time. And, but she wants to tell everybody out there that, you know, she's... Really sorry she can't do it. There's just too many things going on right now. So forgive her, and we will forgive her maybe. Hey, Walt, how you doing? <laughs> Hello, Hello Mona. Mona. Hello, Nancy. Hello, listeners. <laughs> and Mona. Hello, Nancy. <laughs> listeners, 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 listeners. I forget sometimes that we have people on the other end. Oh, I know. I've done that myself. And then, of course, there was a time it was Colleen Kelly. Colleen Kelly, and I, she had the station. I had nothing to do with stations at the time. And we're talking on Skype. And we'd been talking for over an hour and found out all of a sudden somebody in some, some she said something about somebody and that somebody was in the in the chat room and she 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 said something chatted out something and all of a sudden you know Colleen went oh my god we're live well she disconnected that we were live and I was like oh my god because she was bad mouthing a number of people luckily I wasn't I was just listening, but, you know, I, I mean, it was so awful that I I just have been very cautious about never doing that. And yet I've done it on this station a couple of times, but I wasn't bad-mouthing any people, and it was only for a momentary thing. It, well, blame know. the cabal. They, they don't spy on people anymore now. Now everybody spies on themselves. There you go. <laughs> That's the new technique. <laughs> oh, Yeah. So, um, it's been another one of those effed up weeks, <laughs> news-wise. You just kind of like have to shake your head. And it, it, I, I started to take notes when I was listening to Fox uh, News about all of the insane things that were happening. On Cosmic Reality, I ticked them off. You know, I mean like nutty things like... Uh, one of them that sticks in my mind is that somebody is saying that people who want to be healthy are falling into the white supremacy. They're racist. <laughs> <laughs> what? You know, I mean, it was like, oh, my God, I can't believe that you're doing this. And then there's the insanity of this uh, guy in Japan who paid something like 
$14,000 to get a costume that looks like a dog that he can get in. And he goes out on the street and he's got some woman, a white woman, I mean, not an Asian, um, to walk him. Well, my God, if I saw my dog looking like that, I'd have that dog put down. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's just so unreal. Oh, but in the news. That's not on you, isn't it? The furries, that's a thing. People yeah, that dress up as, like as animals. It's a, it's a, well, it's a thing. How many people are doing that thing? I don't know because the, the, okay, first off, let, let's get something on the table here. We keep talking about this equity thing equity, equity, equity. And it's associated primarily with the black people because the Asians don't seem to be getting a piece of that pie. But one day they're, I was listening, I've, I've told this story before, but I think it's important to realize to get a little sense around us because they were on The View and Tim Scott, who's running for president, was on in that Sonny character that was there. She was saying, why do you say that, that we're, how did she say, we're, we are the exceptions? And he said, no, we're not the exceptions. He said, there are a lot of black people that have been able to become powerful people in, in within eco- the ac- economy within academia you know and so he's they're talking this thing over and they and she's getting kind of argumentative against him and i look at this table of five people and there's one white person and i'm going oh what is equity so i looked up how what's the populate percentage of the population that black in america 13 percent Latinos are 17%. White people are like 67% or something. It's like, what in the, what, where, where's the inequity here? But does you, white include the Irish and the Italian and the other white Caucasians? Yes, yes, you know. <laughs> and, and so I'm going like, You know, I mean, I never bought into this because I had gone through the 60s where, yes, I mean, one of the most eye-opening discussions I ever had was when I was working as a rest in a restaurant as a waitress. And this would have been about, gee, I think it might have been 67, 68 time frame. And... There was a black uh, girl that was washing the dishes, the dishwasher. And one day it was really slow, uh, or maybe it was busy. I don't know, but I ended up having a conversation with her. Um, and she was telling me about her life story. Now, she wasn't any older than I was. I mean, we were probably the same age. And I'm at this restaurant between college summer break, you know. And, you know, grew up in a wonderful little town in New England and, you know, I mean, blissful, right? And all of a sudden, this poor girl is telling me about, yes, my brother was shot and killed and this and and my father was, you know, a drunk. I mean, it was just like the worst, the worst story I ever heard of somebody's life. And we had a really heart to heart with this thing. And I said... 
are you are you an exception and she said no that's what how it is for black people in america so i know from from that experience that my we didn't even have black people in my town you know i had no interaction with them i had no idea that their lives could be this hard in america and it was a real eye opener so did i support the activities in the 60s no i didn't go out and i didn't walk, march in the streets or anything but you saw the changes you know you, you saw the changes in the black community once the kennedys and some of the laws were changed and then you go down here in miami it's like a good portion of the people are black i don't even i don't even see black and white anymore I don't think we did. So, um, and I and and you listen to black people out there, who seem to have some common sense, are the exceptions maybe, but no people on the street. See, one of the things that I really like about Fox is they will take their anchor or not their anchors, but um, you know people and take them out, go out in the street and ask people things, and some of the most just eye-opening revelations of understanding is coming from black people not white people i think in many cases the white people are kind of like i was when i met this girl that i didn't understand your your conditioning how you know how terrible it was for you um and i think a lot of white people are like that unless you live like in miami where you're all my neighbors are are black or latino so the prejudice that they talk about is not americans aren't prejudiced like that yes you have some of it in some areas but the vast majority of us are just not that way you know uh yes there are some people like uh one of my friend's sister came over with her she's from orlando area came down to my house to visit and years later my friend told me that her sister was very scared to come because there were so many black people in the neighborhood (laughs) i said so she's afraid of going into a neighborhood of black people and this white woman is living there i mean what okay so there is that you know i'm not saying it doesn't exist but i don't think that um I don't think it's anywhere near as bad. And just look at the the figures. I mean, 13% of the population is black. I'm not saying we shouldn't deal with the problems they're having because they're having problems. But why are they having problems? That's what I wanted to to figure out is that where is the black population in America? because the problem is the Democratic Party. Now, I am a registered Democrat. I have not changed it. I I wouldn't change it to Republican. I might go back to independent, but I like the ability to at least be able to, well, here in Miami, to be honest with you, there's so many black people, if the election's gonna be stolen, it's probably gonna be uh, Democrats because the black people are Democrats. And this is the problem is that they keep buying into this uh, democratic push philosophy 
the the way that they go about things you know we're working for the black people we're working well if you you're damn bad at your job because there's still a lot of there's more black on black crime than there is anywhere near you know white on black crime doesn't even compare and you you keep these people impoverished because you that if you don't you don't have a basis for what you're saying yeah, because yeah. you don't have any you know, go ahead, Mona. Now, it's not just black and white. It's the idea that blacks in the beginning were selling blacks to the whites. And that there was a highfalutin organization of blacks. This, this entitlement is bullshit because the um, Irish have been enslaved. The Chinese were enslaved. They built the rainbow rainbows. <laughs> Railroads across the country. I mean, this slavery stuff is we're all enslaved now, and it doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter even what sex you are. We are all enslaved to a program that makes somebody else higher than the rest of us. You want to say Democrats? I can't do that. I can't. It's just the ones who have taken our civil liberties and our freedoms away from us that has enslaved us. Go ahead. Well, I think the Democratic Party was taken over. I mean, I, I, I'm i a Democrat because I believed in the concept of the Democratic Party as I knew it when the Kennedys were, you right. know, out exactly. now, now what this progressive bullshit is just Un, un, it, it, it's so leftist it's so communist it's so take away everybody destroy the country you know what? I mean it's just like no I don't think we should do this this doesn't sound reasonable and one black man I mean I'm I'm not like I say I'm not prejudicial one way <laughs> I just don't care I mean you're, you're human beings that's all I care about that's and this right. one this one black man absolutely said it, they were talking about that change in the law in Florida. And what happened was that the woke thing, DeSantis said, we're getting rid of this woke crap in the, you know, the, the I can't remember what they call it, the 19, uh, 1719 or whatever project, you know, where they rewrite the history books and they're teaching this crap to kids and he threw it out but in doing so they set up a a rule in florida that you have to to teach black studies and they hired uh, a group of mostly black people historians i mean people with credentials big time credentials to write a uh a, a, a lesson plan what do you have to have to be able to do a good job of presenting the history of the black people. So they write this whole thing up, and it's very inclusive of a lot of things. And there was one statement in it, and it said, I'm paraphrasing here, and it said something to the effect of, while the, while the slaves were in, in terrible situation, they were they were able to learn skills that they were then able to use to kind of black market and help their families out even though they were in the slave position but at the same time when they was free they could take you know like carpenters 
well, farmers. I mean, people that 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 would run different things for the for the slave owners and stuff. So it was just a, it was an acknowledgement that these people were victims, but they were so resilient. They were able to take what was given to them and make something more of it. It was a positive statement about black people, not about slavery. But right. everybody right. on the Democratic Party went went nuts, you know, and telling, oh, you know, well, there's nothing. I mean, even some of the Tim Scott, he actually said this shouldn't have been said. Well, no, I think it should have been said because the black people are very capable of doing everything we do, white people. Right. Um, right. You know, it's it's the concept that you won't let them. <clears throat> but one of the but things, of the wait, things you can explain something to me. Uh, we we lived here in the 70s, from 1970 to 75, and I remember then in 75 we went back to Argentina, and I remember in those five years there was this argument. At the time there was no internet for us to use, so you rely on whatever is coming out from the booth to from the newspapers. But they kept circulating this argument. In fact, it became. Um, if you remember in the 70s, there were a couple of shows that were based on uh, high schools. So you had uh, the advent. It was the adventures and and on troubles of the teachers and the students over several, you know, different issues in racism and out. But there was an argument that was circulating, and it was circulating. Um, of sometimes it, it was even a subject of conversation in, in high school classes where there were these people claiming that uh, black Americans didn't have the same uh, intellectual capacity as whites. They didn't have the same ability to learn as white people. You remember that? <laughs> yes, that was part of the problem, is that from the get-go, uh, they were talking in terms of black people being subhuman. Oh. I mean, you know, how can you buy and sell <clears throat> children, take them away from their parents, if 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 they're human beings? And this one black commentator who was discussing this whole thing, he said, the reality is that there were more people, white people, in slavery in the United States than black people ever, because they would take you know the the irish and and people who needed to get away from their countries because in ireland they were starving to death and so they would become indentured slaves and what that meant is that they would get the trip to america but then they'd have to work for these people for x number of years before they would pay off you know this escape well, the, the same thing that happened in australia oh really because my, oh well my, yeah yeah when my, when my father when my was father planning was... to come to the u.s uh somebody told him about uh immigrating to um australia and uh somebody who had been to australia he was he came back he came to visit his family he says no don't do it because they give you all these benefits so you can Im immigrate but the thing is that you end up being uh you a willing slave because you have to pay back all the money that they gave you for you to make the trip there. So in, in essence, you're just a legal slave. 
So it took him forever to get out of that and be able to have a regular job. So he said to my father, no, don't do it. Don't don't always make uh, make that mistake. So just go to go to the U.S. where you're planning to planning to go, because things were good, were terrible for people immigrating, because there were there was actually a program you you could actually write to the embassy, and they would tell you what to do, what kind of paperwork to turn in, and they would give you, and it was just the the, the letters were full of gold, you know, with the opportunity and this benefit and that benefit, and it turns out that they just wanted to get cheap labor. That's it. I don't know if they had a population issue in those years in the 70s, but it was a way for them to get a lot, of, lots of cheap labor into their country. You mean in Australia? Australia. Yeah. Um, I don't know much about Australia. I don't. I, I the only thing I know is that it was started out as a prison place. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, well, it was New South Wales. That was the, that wasn't it. Wasn't called Australia. <laughs> It was New South Wales. Right. Yeah. So, um, anyway, so we've got this situation that I, I say, like I say, we have to get our heads turned around about this thing because there's only a small percentage. If, if you're talking equity, it's like 13%, okay, that can try to make some claim against the rest of the population. I don't think that they should be ignored. They have problems that can be solved, but not with the Democratic Party's philosophy. They need them to be needy because then they will, well, like, give me, I'll give you an example. In this case, they were after the college-aged kids, okay, and the slightly older. We're going to get rid of your, your college uh, tuition loans. Well, it was bribery. So the people, the kids voted for him, right? I mean, if you take away the kids' vote, Biden's not president. But then he couldn't fulfill it. He knew from the get-go it was unconstitutional. It never passed past the Supreme Court. So now you've got uh, a movement of young people joining the Republican Party. So if you take away the carrot, you know, well, boom. So what they do is they promise all these things to the to the black communities. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. After the George Floyd thing, there was a tremendous influx of, of money given by the, the feds and a lot of states to assist the black communities. And it never got to the black communities. It got to the people that, you know, are in charge and they stole it all. And I'm not exaggerating. This is America. This is what's happened here. So we have to get a a handle on, let's go back to common sense, what works, you know, and don't keep toe-towing to to these people that are making it seem like the, the black people don't have any chance. They don't have any chance because you're keeping them in that condition because that gives you a base for giving more it's the concept of you know take away from the white people and give to the black people well that's that doesn't work and that that's not even you because that was based on the lecture that i saw from that was uh that a russian fellow spoke about 
the ringing cedars of uh, of of Russia. This whole thing was started with uh, Albert Schweitzer, that German guy in in in, in um, what do you call it in Africa, because he actually made a lecture that he gave. I don't know if the, if the lecture was for Europeans, but he was saying that unfortunately, un listen to the words, unfortunately, the, uh, the uh, uh, what do you call it, the, art, the African men were free. They didn't need anything because they were free. So they had to invent some, some, something that they couldn't be without in order to create the need in them. So they would be forced to work in order to satisfy this need. Of for something that they didn't need, it was something that that was invented. So that that's how how they 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 how the whole thing started of uh, sentencing them to a life of labor because they actually invented a need, so they had no choice but to uh, do this work in order to satisfy the, this need, which they didn't need. So that that's how old this thing is. So I don't know if Schweitzer, his historical time, I don't know if he predates the colonies, if he's older than that, but that he actually spoke in favor of, of that, enslaving the African man because the African man was free. So this, this was the great humanitarian who, who sentenced whole sides, you know, whole segments of humanity into slavery. Well, they, they <laughs> also got the white people into slavery. Oh, wow. Because the white people couldn't learn how to be self-sufficient. They kept giving them more and more until they were dependent on this federal government. This federal government is nothing like the, the framers of the United States meant it to be. You know, they, they, um, they talk about the Tenth Amendment. Well, the Tenth Amendment is a statement in the Constitution that says, if the federal government is not has not been given the right to do something by this document, the Constitution, then they have no rights to do it. So what did the Constitution give them? It gave them the right to uh, build, build the Postal Service, to build railroads, to build the big, big projects that, you know, are going to take these separate states and bring them under one kind of a, a infrastructure concept. The second thing was that they could have a military force. The third thing was that they would negotiate as the legal representative of all the states in any international laws. And they were given, the only land they were allowed to own was the District of Columbia, which is, I think, 10 square miles, something like that. If they wanted more land, the only way they could get it was to buy it from the states or to win it because you fought a war and you took somebody else's land. All of the, I swear to God, if if you want to go back to the Constitution, you virtually have to go back to World War One and maybe the Civil War, I think probably the Civil War, and every single law and regulation from that time to the present 90 years gone gone just rip rip up everything and start over again because all of these things are most of the people that passed them didn't even know what the hell they were passing they're not constitutional uh if you can get 
if you can do it right and you bring up almost any regulation that's out there before the Supreme Court, but you can't get there because they know that, it's just it's just a you know a clutterfuck is what it is. And so we need to get a perspective on where we are here because the Constitution is solid. It's the federal government that's a problem. Plus the fact it's not even a government, it's a corporation. And that, I think, is what Donald Trump understands. So we have to go to war with the corporation? We have to disband the corporation. You see, right now, the, the federal government, if you, if, it's got a DUNS number. The DUNS number is a, social, uh, a number that allows you to go and be bought and sold on a stock market. I don't remember what it is anymore, but you can look it up, the DUNS number of the United States Corporation, and it will give you the number. Then you can look that number up, and you'll find out that the number of people that are employed by this United States corporation is exactly the number of the, that's acknowledged as a federal employee list of the United States. The president is now Biden, and this, you know, this vice president is is uh, what's her face, Kamala. So, and this is for all the countries because we keep talking about you know this worldwide takeover. It's already been taken over. That's the problem. You know, it was taken over. They you, just people don't understand this. The people in the Tea Party understood it. They knew something drastically was wrong. They made such an impact that some of the people that are in the Congress of the United States were originally voted in under the Tea Party. Uh, I can't, you know, like uh, I don't want to say somebody that may may not be, but uh, well, like Senator Johnson, I know he was a Tea Party guy. He almost lost his last election. Because they wanted him out. They want these people out. The ones that won't buy into the corporate uh, rules and regulations. And there's so many telltale signs that this is true. It's like when I was in the, um, uh, you know, doing the, the firearms, you had to pay a lot of attention to what's called the United States Code. Because they would make changes. Every April, you, you, you might have changes in the code. Well, the code, the title of the code, code is all in capitals, United States Code. It's all in capitals. That indicates it's a corporate document. I mean, you're, 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 all your, your legal documents, your driver's license, your social security, all of them have your names in capital. Why? Well, that indicates you're an asset of the corporation. And this is... This is you know, uh, corporation law. So <laughs> we've been in, we've been in a really screwy place for a long time. There was uh, in the '96, I think it was, the Senate got together and tried to figure out, you know, how 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 because a lot of these things were done under decrees of a national emergency. And so the first one, like I say, was in World War One under Wilson. And then there was one under Roosevelt. Then there was, uh, well, the problem became uh, uh, Nixon. Nixon put out a few of them, including getting rid of the dollar backed by gold and silver. So what happened is that 
you have a situation where these decrees say that you suspend this constitution. Well, it gave you a way of doing this, but it never gave you a way of undoing it. So in 96, the Senate committee tried to figure out, you know, are we still under an emergency decree? Because they were getting scared about Nixon. He kept making these decrees. Well, after months and years of researching this, I mean, it was just an amazing thing because they got to the point that there were so many law, everything was under these emergency decrees, nothing had been okayed by the Constitution, and so this friggin' Senate, instead of saying, we got to do something about this right now, 96, they said, well, it's too big for us to deal with. It's too big for the Senate of the United States to deal with? You're going to leave it to somebody else to pick it up? Well, guess what? We're the somebody else's. So, um, Bill Brockbrader, who did, I put up a, a, a video of his earlier today, just before the show. He said that the idea that that you have all of this structure on top of everything is because nobody paid attention to it. Nobody knew it was hidden. And it, or it was so complex, nobody understood it. He said, if you could show what is really happening, actually show it, nobody would have a question as to what to do. Well, get it, change it, it's terrible. But he said they, they keep doing this mind control stuff on you. He was calling them flat earthers. <laughs> you know, the flat earth concept. Um, so yeah, we've got a lot of things out there that are just really screwed up, and we have to get it. We've got the numbers, and people are waking up. People aren't falling for it anymore. You know, they started to talk about another pandemic, and everybody went, "Yeah, mm -hmm, fell for that once. Not going to do it again." You know, just recently, they're trying to get us all scared and locked up again. So. Um, Okay, so this this last week, actually, there was a guy by the name of Archer who was supposedly Biden, Hunter Biden's best friend. And Archer was had worked on the Kerry campaign. And Kerry seems to be very dirty, too. Okay, so you got the Kerry campaign, Archer, Kerry Association, and then you got Hunter Biden. And they ended up on the board of Burisma in the Ukraine together. And what happened was that Archer testified in, in front of Congress this last Monday or Tuesday, Monday, I guess it was. And the Republicans said, whoa, he just named George, Joe Biden as being very much a part of Hunter's schemes. He was meeting with the um, people who were business power, business people from foreign nations. So, so uh, the Republicans said, oh, yeah, it was based on the fact that Archer had said something to the effect of very, 20, over 20 times during a business meeting, Joe Biden would call the business meeting and say hello. And he said, well, I'm going to let you hear what he said, because what happened was that the the Democrats said he'd call and, and, and you know, they talk about the weather. 
that's what the Republicans were saying. <laughs> I mean, it was just like foolishness. So you have this happening on um, on Monday, I think. The next day, they impeach, uh, impeach, indict Donald Trump again for the January 6th BS. So you've got these, every time they try to tell the people about the Biden situation, the Bidens do something like indict the president, and then everybody's looking at that and not listening to the Biden thing. And they did a, a, a research on how many times the Hunter Biden subject came up on traditional media, mass media, what are they calling it? And how many times Trump came up? Well, it was like, look at listening to all of those different newscasts over the 48 hours. They found out that Hunter Biden's story came up 14 times and they kept 700 times did they bring up Trump. <laughs> you know, that's what the, the American people, for the most part, are listening to. So they don't, they're, they're ignorant. But like Bill says, if they were, could be made to understand what's really happening, there is no decision here. It's obvious. But they just keep being put into the dark. So what I'm going to play here is um, eight minutes, because what happened was Tucker on Twitter, he interviewed uh, Devin Archer. And he, there's a second, uh, this is part one. Part two is up, and that's over an hour, I think. It's, but it's you know a long version of it, and I listened to most of it. I, I didn't get a chance to finish it. And Archer is a really interesting person. Like he came from a a, a family didn't have too much money, you know, middle class, but because he was good in sports, he got a, a scholarship to one of the major uh, schools. And he went and he made himself, he, he became a, a bank executive and he was into equity trading and, you know, I mean, he's, he's a really substantial man. He, he's not, I, I mean, I figured if it was Hunter Barden's best friend, you know, he was probably a douchebag. No, he isn't. So he's a credible witness. And this, Tucker uh, had this interview with him. So this is the... Uh, Okay, it's going to be uh, 11 minutes, but this is uh, the first part of the interview he did, and I want you to hear it because I want you to uh, kind of, you know, sit back and listen to what this archer is saying because he's talking about absolute traitors planning to sell out the American government to be paid for doing favors for foreign nationals it's absolute treason okay but when you listen to him and Tucker talking about this it's like oh yeah but that's the way we do it it's like uh, treason no this is just the way we do it it's like a disconnect from reality that Archer has because he's part of that inner crowd so here we go So you worked with Hunter Biden in a bunch of different businesses. Um, 
what were the skill, the specific skills that he brought to clients? Well, at the end of the day, he, you know, he had a career in Washington, yeah. uh, graduated Yale Law School and had a very big network in, in D.C. and brought that know-how and understanding of D.C. and ultimately the Biden brand. The know-how. So as far as I could tell, he wasn't doing legal work. I mean, he was in the counsel's office at Burisma, right? No, no. So the the network and the Biden brand sounds like the the kind of key component of absolutely what yeah. he was bringing. Yep. Um, do you think that he would have been in those businesses not having a business background without his father being in a government position? It's hard to speculate in in those regards. I mean, yeah. I think when we initially met and uh, and he talked about his advisory business, his business that needed to transition from lobbying to advisory and the interest in private equity, it seemed, uh, you know, it seemed like a new and interesting network for us to expand our business. Um, whether he could have, you know, been in that position, it's it's hard for me to speculate. Right. But obviously, the brand of Biden, you know, adds a lot of power when you're dad's vice president. For sure. And there was a time maybe 10 years ago when private equity, maybe like AI now, was just one of those terms people throwing out, I'm in private equity. Right. But the mechanics, having done it, coming right. from a business background yourself, are kind of complex. Are Absolutely. They not? Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's a complex business. Um, takes years of training. But again, they're, the initial idea around the business, they were going to provide you know, the government insight and an additional network to raise capital and then you know, deal with regulatory issues that you might have at the corporate level. Right. Regulatory issues. Exactly. Okay. So that would be more his area. Right. That would be his space. Right. But did he have a, a sophisticated understanding of regulation, do you think? Um, I think that he led a team that had, had, a, had a sophisticated... Okay, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>, because <laughs> I lived in Washington a long time around a lot of regulation. Also a very complex area. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think there's, you know, you got to be an expert in knowing the guy. And he was the guy that was the expert in knowing the guy. He was an expert in knowing the guy. And who was the guy he knew? Uh, Well, he knew a lot of people, but obviously there was some familiar, you know, his brother, his father, uh, uh, some of his his father's siblings. So he, he knew a lot of people. And and obviously, I know you're pointing to, you know, the father being the key relationship. Well, no, I'm just trying to get a sense of. Washington's not a money town. Right. You know, people don't aren't in business in Washington for the right. most part. And most people don't have business skills that I've noticed in 30 years of living there. Um, so really, the business of Washington is is selling access. That's what it looked like to me. Yes. Not just Hunter Biden, but like. Yeah, no, I think that's do. I mean, I think that's the one of the like core misconceptions. I mean, it seems like when I, you know, understanding a regulatory environment means selling access at the end of the day. That, yeah. That's how I interpret it. And I think that's how most people on, you know, in Wall Street, whether they admit it or not, interpret it. Yeah. So we're going to, we've got a complex business that intersects with government. We need a guy who knows it. Right. How do I, you know, deal with getting a guy a visa that needs to come over for a business deal? Right. Call our lobbyist that knows the guy in DHS or used to work in DHS or, you know, in Customs and Border Patrol or the people at the embassy and state, they, they might be able to help. So they're very like tactical elements that are regulatory and compliance and governance that you have to go through. And you got to know the guy that right. worked at the old agency that now has the lobbying firm that can go back to the agency and, you know, get get things put to the front of the line. So the reason I'm asking this is because it's not to give the Bidens a pass, hardly. Right. But when people say, well, there's some question about whether Hunter was trading on his father's name. If you live in Washington, like that's the whole city right there. Right. I think you you know the answer to that. At the end of the day, right. so he had the best pre- advantage to do that because of where he was. And 
you know, we thought that when we went into business, this was a great opportunity for us. So I get it. <laughs> and you're not the only one who did that. Right. There were a and lot of lot Hunter of Biden is not the only son of a famous government official who's right. done this right at all. But I just wonder, like when you hear people say, well, it's kind of an open question. Right. About why they hired Hunter Biden. Like, that's pretty disingenuous. No. Right. I think at the end of it. So. When you look at the, there there are people that maybe were, you know, sons or relatives or brother-in-laws of other high-ranking officials, but I think what we ran into and with, with what Hunter ran into was like almost like an Icarus issue. So he got a little, it was too close to the sun. It was too right. good to be true. And the connections were, were too close and the scrutiny too much. Yes. And it ended up destroying, you know, he, it left the wake of a lot of, dis, you know, a lot of destruction in business over a number of years. So how many, um, it's been reported and you have said that there were occasions when uh, Joe Biden would call in with clients present on a speaker phone. Right. How, how many times do you think that happened? I mean, over a 10 year partnership, I would, um, you know, the number I'm going with is 20. That's probably the, the, the amount that I so kind of record. Yeah, a lot. You could say. So Joe Biden, who's very much a product of Washington, of course, must have known that he was calling in to effectively a business meeting that his son was having. I mean, he must have understood that 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 was kind of what his son was selling. Well, that's I mean, it's hard for me to speculate on that. <laughs> but like, I guess my question, just to keep it to the facts, Joe Biden, then the sitting vice president, knew that there were Hunter's business associates in the room. Yeah, I think I can I can definitively say at particular dinners or meetings, he knew there were business associates. And he, you know, we or if I was there, I was a business associate, too. Yeah. Um, so I think, or if, you know, any of the other colleagues from the DC office or the New York office were there. So yeah, at times there were from the, you know, to be, you know, completely clear on the calls. I don't know if it was an orchestrated call in or not. It certainly was powerful though, because, you know, if you're sitting with a foreign business person and you hear the vice president's voice, that's prize enough. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty impactful stuff for anyone. It's, a, it's. Uh, been reported, and I, I know that it is true that the Hunter and his brother were very close to their dad. Absolutely, um, which I think is great. Yep. Um, I've got a lot of kids. I'm very close to them. Talk to them every day. Yeah. Never called them on speaker during a business meeting. That's weird. Hmm. You've got a lot of kids. You're close to them. Do you call them on speaker during business meetings? Um, do I call? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what is that? A grown man calling his dad on a speakerphone? During a business right. meeting. Right, and to be clear, sometimes it was the call was coming in and the speaker would go on. So it was, it's just the presence. You have to be, I mean, you're, you, you understand DC, right? So the power to have that access and that conversation, and it's not in a scheduled conference call and it's a part of your family, that's, that's like the pinnacle of, uh, of power in DC. A hundred percent. I guess I'm pivoting against the lie that I'm hearing people tell with a straight face. Congressman Goldman, for example, that we don't really know what was going on. Really? You're taking a call from the vice president and you put it on speaker. It's not just, hey, dad, I'm in a meeting with some buddies. Right. It's let me, let me put my dad, the vice president, on speaker. Yeah. Yep. In the, in the rear view, it's, uh, it's, a, it's an abuse of soft power, I'd say. An abuse of soft power. Um, Interesting. When did you meet Joe Biden? Joe Biden, I met the first time probably at the 2000 convention. I think yep. it was in L.A. and then Boston was 2004. So those two times I probably shook hands as they 
made kind of the power circles around the. Yeah. Uh, you've been you've been to them th- through the through of the skyboxes, um, and uh, and then following that, really when our part you know our partnership started in 2008 2009 ish, um, conversation started. That's when I re met Hunter and actually had a you know sit down and meal with him, talked about the transition from lobbying into strategic advisory and then kind of a you know some type of coalescence around having a private equity fund that would have this unique access and understanding of a regulatory environment in DC. <laughs> Again, got it. To be clear. Um, how many times do you think you met Joe Biden during the course of your relationship with Hunter? How many times? Um, I should have this off the top of my head since I've been asked so many times. Uh, probably same thing, 20. So I got one last question for you and we'll do a much longer interview and get the entire story. But we, we found this letter Kind of amazing. It's from January 20th, 2011, which I think puts you in your late 30s, mid, mid to late right, 30s. Right, right. Okay, so you're, you're a younger man. This is from the Vice President of the United States, Joe Biden, to you personally, and it's personalized here at the bottom. Devin Archer, Rosemont Seneca Partners, that was your partnership with Hunter Biden in yes. Georgetown. Dear Devin, I apologize for not getting a chance to talk to you at the luncheon yesterday. I was having trouble getting away from hosting President who? Jinteng, who's yes. running China at that point. I hope I get a chance to see you again soon with Hunter. I hope you enjoyed lunch. Thanks for coming. Sincerely, Joseph R. Biden Jr. P.S. Handwritten. Happy you guys are together. So there are many levels here. But here's the vice president of the United States saying to you, a man in his mid-30s, who's not a government official, I'm sorry I was occupied with the guy who runs the world's largest country. I would much rather talk to you and thank you. What was he thanking you for? Well, uh, you know, first of all, it's a lovely letter and it was. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite enthusiastic. It's a little weird though, right? Yeah, well, it was, it, listen, it was, it was kind of the beginning of our partnership and he was thanking me and thanking Hunter, I think, at the end of the day for bringing this idea of this government regulatory strategic advisory business into the private equity world. And I think he was excited about the prospects for Hunter. And, um, you know, he was uh, just just thanking me. I think it was a nice gesture. It was a nice gesture. For sure. For sure. Very polite. It gets a 10 on the etiquette scale. But he's a vice president of the United States. And he's talking about foreign business deals with you and thanking you Right. That. I think, again, it, it goes back to my other, earlier point in, in, yeah, I think I hit at the time, I think I hit the jackpot in finding the regulatory environment or company that can navigate right to the top. But, you know, obviously, as time is told, you know, being a little bit too close to the sun ends up burning you. For sure. And, and it did you. And Absolutely. You, you suffered greatly for it. And this is not a criticism of you, I, I would think, as a business guy. Um, you use every advantage. These are not business guys. This is the vice president of the United States. He's right. not allowed to be working on businesses with foreign governments while he's vice president. I don't think. Not that I know. <laughs> but here he is. Right. Amazing. Uh, we'll be back. Devin Archer, thank you. Thank you. So, uh, what'd you guys think of that? Drug deals. Drug deals. In the open. In the open. They were all partying, screwing each other, blowing each other. It's all in the open. That's the way I feel about it. And Joe was a part of it. Well, so Washington is a family business. It's not. Yeah, right. It doesn't belong to the people. It's a family business. Mafia. 
No, Walt, did they have that kind of thing in Argentina? Worse. Worse? Worse. Can you describe what you saw there? Well, it's easy. First off, the laws, whatever is written in the books, first off, the laws are extremely ancient. I mean, considering, for example, uh, even celebrities and people, well-to-do people have suffered a lot because the laws... Uh, for example, uh, case in point, um, for decades there was no there was no law for uh, uh, divorce. Here in the U.S., it was a it was a given. You wanted to divorce your spouse, you divorce your spouse. In Argentina, because official the official religion of Argentina is uh, 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 what do you call it, Catholic, Roman Catholic. Um, uh, Divorce is forbidden. So it took them, I don't know how many decades before it was official, de- officially declared divorce is now legal. You can divorce your spouse. So whenever, when you were trying to get through the system is all the laws are so, un- they're such, su- such ancient. I mean, some of the laws were written at the time when there was no electricity for heaven's sake, and they're still valid. They, they, they still, they still count. So, you know, you start from there. Then, then the, there's the other thing to take into account. Okay, the law applies to you, whoever you are, only as long as you're poorer than dirt. If you're as poor as dirt, then every single law has to, you have to obey and respect every single law. If you have a dollar to spend on bypassing the law, then yes, Come and come and knock on my door. I will I will clear the way for you to get anything done. <laughs> so the, as long as you have a dollar to go by you to you know to go by your name, uh, then then no, the laws don't apply to you. There is somebody out there. Some who knows? It could be the relative of a friend of a uh, or or the uncle or the cousin or, or, or somebody who knows somebody on the inside who for a few bucks will get the process done and that's how you go through life why quite simply you know this is is it goes with pure logic you have to do this because if you attempt to to obey every single law you will get nothing done okay a case in point i'll, I'll give you an illustration for i mean i don't know how how many decades this thing lasted? Maybe a decade or there was a, a comedy show, a late night comedy show. It was called Telecomicos, and they would do this, this these comedy skits. And their their format was very. Uh, for example, if you remember the Rowan and Laffin's laughing in the in the seventies, where you had these comedy sketches. And every yes. single show, you had all these different sketches because you had different guests. Okay, in Argentina, they do the opposite of that. Instead of having uh, different sketches every show, it's the other way around. It's the same sketch over, you know, maybe there's a variation here or there, but overall, the show is based around these sketches repeating themselves, but, they are, but the arguments or the jokes in the sketch are Barry. So one of them, which became very famous because it lasted for years, was the story of the man and the tree. There was this man who wanted to plant a little tree on, on his uh, 
uh, on his sidewalk in front of his house. So when he goes to plant the tree, he goes to City Hall to get permission to plant the tree. They ask him for every paper known to man and anything and everything under the sun. You need this this permit and that permit, and you have to have uh, the you have to do the declared, you know, sworn testimony that you you have this. You're 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 protected against this uh, insect infestation. It's like you couldn't believe the amount of paperwork this poor guy was going through, and all he wanted to do was plant this little tree. So that was uh, a, a joke based entirely on the truth of the way the country works. Because they, the um, employees, the, the government employees, they make such little money, they actually exploit the system to make more money. So how are you going to get the paperwork signed off that you, you got the necessary uh, documents to get your little tree planted? Easy. You pay the government employee. You pay him under the under the counter. So that way, they uh, supplement their input, their you know their income, and you get your papers done. If you don't have the money to pay, you're going to be doing paperwork until the end of time. I mean, in fact, your grandchildren will inherit maybe the the, the tree by now. It's a it's a red book because it's so old, and you'll still be going to the city hall to get paperwork done. So that's how the way it works. They they deliberately do things in a way that you have you have no you cannot avoid paying off somebody because that's how things get done. If you try to do oh no no I'm gonna I'm just gonna follow the letter of the law I'm gonna do things officially legally you'll never get it done you'll never be buried you'll you'll never get a car you'll never get a house you'll never be able to buy a loaf of bread no. Nope. Because well, a, friend, so many a, friend, a friend, a friend of mine told me she's very much aware of the, let's say, city government type thing, and she told me that somebody that she knew said to her, "I can't seem to get a permit for something, you know, simple," and she said to him, "Did you did you do the fifty dollars?" And he said, "What?" And she said, "Go talk to the guy that's holding it up and put fifty dollars on his on his desk." And so he did, and by God, it disappeared before he left the office. So it happens here. It happens here. See, that's a healthy economy there. See, that, that's well, what that's, we, greases the wheels of progress. You're making the ringing of cedars shake. <laughs> I mean, seriously, that poor tree. Yeah. <laughs> but that's exactly what I was thinking too about the money and the divorce and. You can't get away with just changing things. You got to pay for it. Yeah, I, I know that. Uh, I I learned this from my mom, who had a conversation with a count uh, with a relative over the phone, and she she was in Argentina. And, uh, in Argentina, there was a well-known celebrity. She used to be a singer and, and an actress, and for years, um, she had this marriage. And when the time came, she had a divorce from her husband. I mean, the the law forced her to pay for for everything under the sun because they were looking at laws that were written, you know, at, at a time when there was no divorce. So she complained that is that, is that you, how, how can you progress as a country when you're still following laws that were written before electricity? 
you know. Biblical times. <laughs> Biblical times. <laughs> so is, you want to avoid punishment. You don't want to turn into a pillar, a pillar of salt. <laughs> okay, we're at the top of the hour, so let's play Somewhere Over the Rainbow. An aura geode, a black moonstone, citrine cosmic silver nugget, bracelets, shungite bowls, and much more at the Mystical Wares live auction. Have fun bidding for special items at your price. Mysticalwares.com slash live dash auctions. Let's take a moment to thank the people who make intergalactic distribution of this show possible. Mystical Wares in Mount Vernon, Washington. Yes, folks, Mystical Wares is where the Jedi Knights shop when they have their annual field trip to planet Earth. After annihilating battalions of stormtroopers and blowing up the Death Star, they deserve an all-out shopping spree, and their supplier of choice is Mystical Wares in Mount Vernon, Washington, an oasis of light in an otherwise dark universe. I spoke to Master Yoda the other day and asked him where he buys his shungite. He replied... Tell you I will, and not belabor. Mystical wares. I also pick up spare parts for my light saber. So there you have it, folks. If it's good enough for Master Yoda and the Jedi elite, it's certainly good enough for the rest of us. Mystical wares in Mount Vernon, Washington. Online or on location, you'll be sure to give them a standing ovation. I am Oni, mad as the day is long, Avidician. This was Metaphysical Martini, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio, to whom we are most grateful. Until we meet again, my darlings, get involved in local politics, learn to identify the dirty tricks within the matrix, and above all, let the spirit inhabit the human. Scalar energy is demonstrating how good health depends upon balanced and stable human and animal energy fields. Test it out for yourself with a free weekly 12-hour remote session at mysticalwares.com slash scalar-healing. This is an ongoing program allowing you to pick and choose the scalar energy treatment you want. Thus, you must register weekly for the session presented every Friday. Experience the future of medicine now for the free sessions or sign up for one designed specifically for you. Go to mysticalwares.com slash scalar-healing. And remember, you must sign up weekly and receive the confirmation email or text confirming the session. Experience the future of medicine now. And welcome back to Say What? It's August 5th, 2023. My name is Nancy Hopkins. With me is Walt Silva and Mona Radler. And um, we can change the subject here and do the Anelia uh, reading if you want, Walt. There you go. There you go. Okay, okay. Wait a minute, now, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. What are you chewing? Say again? He was eating. Uh, no, me? No, I wasn't eating. I, I drank some water, but I haven't eaten anything. Well, it was something to do with that part of your body. I heard you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, clear your throat. Let's hear you. Okay. Okay. The, the title of this article is Power on Earth Linked with Shrines. Okay. 
Larry was telling me about some shrines built and used in the 1700s by coastal indigenous tribes or bands as they are known in Canada. The shrine <clears throat> the book described reminded me of, what, of Westminster Abbey in England. Although physically they didn't look like each other, the abbey being a grand old stone building and the shrine described in the book was hidden with no flooring but beach, sand and dirt, the energy line they both carry is the same. The energy line for both is that of, de uh, is that of, of a death cult. Both places hold or held the bones of the dead and not any old random dead, but powerful dead. <clears throat> In the book that Larry was reading, a selection of, there is a detailed description of the creation of these shrines built by whaling chief of the tribe there, which involved the burying of powerful men in then, then digging up their skulls and placing them on effigies that represented them and their power. Other people were not allowed to go into the shrine, look at it, or even talk about it. If they did, did they would be killed. The whole thing was shrouded in secrets and occultism. Across the wor world, we find these shrines. Some, such as Westminster Abbey, are still active and used daily. The one described in the book Larry was reading to me was actually sold to New York collectors by two of the headmen claiming ownership, so long it was removed when everybody was gone from the village. Many churches across Europe have coffins with dead people buried in the walls and floors. Mostly these were powerful or gifted people when alive. I wanted to talk about the creation and use of these shrines because they came about all over the world to link a death cult, an oppressive power over others' energy, into our reality. Yes, even tribal realities separated by oceans from the Spanish conquistadors and the coming U.S. cavalry were deeply embroiled in power over others' realities, anchored in basically the same way. And of course, now we are at the time when we no longer allow that energy into our reality. When I was looking at the information shared in the book Larry is reading, and also looking at what I personally seen in Westminster Abbey, I noticed the common denominators between the two. I also noticed how these things don't work when when what happens there becomes public knowledge. It is as though when we take away the secrecy and occultism that shrouds these places and goings on in fear and awe, the whole thing falls apart. The rituals that happen at the Abbey are increasingly becoming visible. They are also now perceived as perverted, insane and powerless. As we learn about it, our, them, our thoughts, insights and observations dissolve the power over others' energies those places and rituals hold. Instead of seeing powerful priests or shamans carrying out sacred rituals which invoke supernatural energies through death and sacrifice, we see a bunch of perverted, perverted men moving about in silly customs, doing cruel and perverted things, and the ridicule of that image takes away any sway they may have within our collective unconscious. It is time for life-affirming life shrines. The words life-affirming shrines probably evokes immediate knowing of what one of these shrines might look like. 
and we may immediately recognize that we have visited them see and seen them these already these these shrines are a celebration of life gaia and our people the people of earth there is no secrecy around them no pain or suffering no martyrdom or sacrifice on the contrary there is plenty of knowledge clarity transparency joy light love inspiration and life I like to call these sacred spaces. Several years ago, I organized a class that explored and delineated how to create one of these spaces. Here is a link to the video from that class. And there is an exercise that I have shared with our students at Walk With Me Now that empowers every single person to become an amplifier and transmitter of the true nature and energy of who we are. Here is the exercise. Um, there are three bullet points. One, write 200 things you are grateful for and love about yourself, your life, the world, environment, and creatures and people around you. Two, read this list every day and add, it, add to it as you feel inspired to do. Number three, do this for three months. This exercise of feeling love and gratitude is well known within the conscious manifestation teachers teachings to be powerful and rocket fueling your high frequency experiences. The number of things to write was inspired by a different teacher. Up to now, I was teaching the list to be just a handful of things. No more gently walking into the embodiment of the new paradigm. Let's get some serious work done instead. There are immeasurably immeasurable amounts of items and experiences on Earth. Let's love and be grateful for 200 of them. How does this exercise dissolve the death cult power? Hold on a second. I guess we're shutting the door to keep the cat from meowing. I thought it was kind of cool. Sorry. <laughs> all right, all right. I thought it was an affirmation that you're saying the right things. For heaven's sakes, they're finally waking up. <laughs> <laughs> so how does this exercise dissolve the death cult power linked to shrines across the world? Have you heard the words, your body is your shrine, or your body is your temple? As you fill your own body with love and gratitude by feeling and connecting with yourself, earth, people, animals, and everything else in our environment with the most life-affirming energy there is, love and gratitude, the shrine you have within you, your body, becomes the powerful link to our true nature in the universe, our high-frequency natural state as human beings. This, in turn, disempowers external, artificially created, low-frequency shrines within you and by association from our world. That's it. Uh, P.S. Uh, P.S. A word of warning. Do not generate gratefulness or love for negative, painful, or harsh experiences. Do not list them as things that made you a better person. This will amplify the power over others' paradigm. And that's it. So, oh, we should care. <laughs> and I totally agree with what she said. That, you know, like the old crap, it's all based on secrecy. That's why the, the Masons, if you dared speak a word of what they said they immediately put you to death because they without the secrecy it's powerless you re you reveal the truth of what they're doing and 
they they grow powerless. So the man behind the curtain. Exactly. Just such lies and deceit. Can't we all get along? <laughs> I mean, seriously, right? You're not supposed to give gratitude for the things that might have woken you up and given you your aha moments, even though they could have been a negative. I mean, I appreciate my divorce. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I didn't have to pay for it, you know? so. Well, yeah, I kind of agree with, with, I agree with both sides of that question because people, I, I actually think that you're probably more right than she is because again, if you realize that a, a dark time was actually a benefit to you, then it doesn't hold that power over you, I would think. Right. No, but the problem the problem is that there are people and I've met them in person and I've had to live with them <laughs> is that they, they actually derive identity from bad stuff. So they actually justify the best the stuff. Oh, you can't appreciate the light unless you have darkness. So they keep worshiping the dark. You See, gotta know people... the difference. You can't just have it and think, no, no, no. You got to know the difference because exactly. Otherwise, there are, they are those that, that, that they say, oh, no, that, oh, because without without the darkness, you're not going to learn the let No, you, without the darkness, you're going to make positive change and you're going to progress in life because you're because without that, without with darkness, life is a constant struggle, constantly, nonstop, because you're always struggling just to survive. So that's that's what you that's what you think you you think you that's going to progress. No, you're not going to progress because you're always stuck. It's it's like a it's like that movie uh, Groundhog Day where the yeah. guy wakes up and every day is the same day. That's what happens when you when you worship the dark. Every day is Groundhog Day. So there is no progress. When you are in a in a light paradigm, then yes, you can move forward. Because you every day is going to be something new and something better, and you're progressing, you're learning, you're moving on. You're not stuck in this groundhog day. And then we're not worshiping either side because it is what it is, whatever. At least that's the way I feel that I have acquired the peace that I have now is because I'm not choosing sides. Was it dark? Yeah. Did I carry it and claim it as dark? No, it just that's what it was. But that doesn't mean I didn't get light and bright out of it. But I'm not saying that that's the only thing that made it happen either. You know, I mean, yeah, choices, rules, too many rules. Go ahead. So what else you got, Nancy? Uh, well, no, I think we should pursue this a little bit more because I think maybe when mm, somebody's really thirsty. <laughs> yeah, I know. that's why I had my mute off, but uh, mute on. Um, okay, let me just give you a, a story because why not? Right. And I'm trying to think of when it was. We all know what it, what it was. It was when the Notre Dame Cathedral caught on fire at that time frame. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, lo- long-time listeners have heard this story before, but it's, you know, we got to remember some stories sometimes. So I was on a Skype call with Michael Dunn and his, uh, his wife at the time. And he, all of a sudden he interrupted our conversation and said that his wife was telling him that Notre Dame was on fire, the cathedral. And so she was looking up on Google to find more information out of it <clears throat> and kind of relaying it to us. And I said, well, wait a minute, I'm a remote viewer. Let me go take a look at this. So I said, hold on here. I'm going to go take a look. So what happened was I just focused on essentially the image of Notre Dame Cathedral and the area in front of it, you know, like the opening in front of it where people come into the the cathedral. And when I got there, it was full of people and they were, oh my God, they were so emotionally distraught. It was awful. It was like the most awful thing. And immediately I got thrown back from it. And and the whole time I'm doing this, I'm talking to them. I wished I had had the recorder on. And um, what happened was that I said, okay, now I said, I've got to, I, I said, I've got to get in front of the, this, this event because I need to find out, you know, what, what happened. And I don't want to find out what's feeling, they're feeling now. I want to know what happened in the beginning. So you could, in, in a remote view, time doesn't exist. So you just have to kind of like go a little back into the past. And I knew the fire had started in the back of the church. So this time when I focused, I focused on, you know, going and seeing what was in the back of the church. And it, uh, it was really surprised because where I ended up was like a, it was, well, I, it's sort of a room, but it's like a big room and it was uh, just empty. Well, it wasn't empty. It had uh, equipment that you would associate with some kind of construction. Uh, mostly, I think I saw an electric generator that, that, that seemed to stand out to me. But there was very, I mean, only a few of these things. And it was, it was empty, but it was at the back of the church. So I'm standing there trying to figure out where I am when there's a huge explosion overhead. And it startled me and threw me out of the remote. And again, I'm talking to these two the whole time. And I said, oh, man, I got to go back in there and see what caused that. So I go immediately right back into the same time. But I back it up again a little bit, bit into the to the past. And at that moment, I left the that space. And I just kind of like zoomed out to take a look from a distance what what was happening. And I saw a spacecraft. Well, I don't know. It, it, it could have been a, a fighter jet. There was a physical thing there. <clears throat> so, um, now, now what I try to do is I try to assess the, uh, to explain this one, the, the thoughts associated with the event. In other words, you don't have an event unless there's a thought behind it, right? So now I'm asking the universe, okay, download me what was really happening here. What, what What's happening here? And the download came in that the ship that I was seeing was actually a white hat operations, uh, secret space force. 
and that they were stopping a major ceremonial magic woo-woo sacrifice that they had planned for the next day because it was Easter. And they wanted the cathedral, the black side, wanted the cathedral full of people so that they could demolish it in some way um, and create a, a, a very uh, intense death scene. And the reason being is that the church is on a energy the ley lines the you know the energy fields and this was a major attempt to let's say get more power out it's all the only, the only thing i could understand they wanted more control so they needed to do this to the sacrifice the, all that garbagey stuff that they get into so um and it turned out that after after this episode um and we talked about it on cosmic reality radio show well across the street <clears throat> from this cathedral was well it wasn't a, it wasn't directly across the street from the cathedral it was across the street but it was down a little bit like <clears throat> i don't know maybe a couple of blocks or so and it was just looking at the plaza the road in front of this hotel so you're looking at this recording and it was you know it was done by pictures not like a video thing it was every few seconds they were taking another another snapshot and they had a picture where you, they're looking at the, the the road and then the sky's involved in it and all of a sudden there is two things that happen this the same thing that i saw in the remote is now in the picture from this hotel security camera and a plume of smoke is coming from the left and notre dame was left of that camera so you got oh wow gee they they actually got a, a picture of what i saw i mean i thought oh this is this is amazing you know so if the universe is telling me and showing me a particular scenario and then telling me why and they're proving to me with photographs of it um you know i think i should give it some credence that maybe this was in fact a white hat white hat operation attempting to stop a very black plan it didn't end there uh days later there was a photograph put up in facebook from the vantage point of being right outside the cathedral before the fire started. And this woman was taking a picture of a father and daughter. And in the right-hand upper corner of it was the same ship. She'd got a picture of it. They didn't know it. She was putting it on Facebook to, to try to get this picture to the dad and the daughter that were there you know, moments before this terrible thing happened. So um, that that's what we're talking about here, these shrines. What are these things all about? There's Every time you see a church, you're pretty darn sure that there's going to be, you know, a power center there. So my point is, and I think Anelius too, is that we can make our own shrines. I think that anybody listening to this show, and probably listening to Anelia, um, are on the path of, let's say, awake and aware. 
and that you probably have been following your intuition a lot more than other people and being brought to where you need to be. You may be on a PowerPoint and you don't even know it. And that by just creating these natural, and and they can be very small, they can be, but you're putting the intent of this is a sacred place, a sacred space. And you can even do it inside yourself. I mean, we all should be working on the fact that we are sacred spaces. But these are things that we need to begin to really bring into, uh, you know, hardcore tap at things. Put them into the physical 3D as reminders of where we really are, but also as as a way of uh, instigating your response of, oh, yes. And then, you know, you don't, you just have to do it constantly. This reinforcing the fact that you know, we are special people. We want to make everybody special. That's why we're special. We think everybody's special. And we're doing the best we can to be good representatives of the, let's say, the God force, the source of all energy that I think we're all created from. Whatever it happens to turn out to be, I don't say that I know. <laughs> I won't take that on. Um, so, yeah, now we can go on to something else unless you want to comment on that. But I think it's, especially I'd like to hear what you think, Mona, because you've been doing this all your life. Was there people that got hurt? Or was it just the building and the artwork in that? Because if they were doing a sacrifice, they were doing it to gain, like you said, power and energy, but... Did they want to do the sacrifice of the genocide? And if they didn't do that, then that's a good thing because they didn't get their adrenochrome or whatever. You know, they're loose. So no, because the essentially right in the back area of that that's why that, that room was so empty. Is in the back area of that room is where it's like a portal to the energy field. And they wanted to kill off as many people as they could the next day um, by what well, I don't know how they were going to do it, but you know. Well, and no, I was, I, I, you just reminded me of a uh, not, I don't, I don't think it was Notre Dame, I think it was another church. Um, uh, David Wilcock, he took pictures inside of a church, and the, the, the thing that was really creepy is that. In one part of the church, there's an altar stone, and it looks it, it wrought like a rough-hewn stone. And the thing is that uh, I don't know how he came about it, but the the stone actually was used for human sacrifices. It was a sacri- sacrificial stone. It wasn't a, a tomb. It was actually a, a stone that was used to sacrifice human lives. And this is in the middle of a church, so <laughs> makes you makes you wonder what did they use this church for? They stole from the good guys. Mm. And then there's the story about the black goo that's in every altar in the Catholic Church. Oh, I don't I don't know who started that story. I've never seen any proof of it. What but a it's, thought. <laughs> it would make so much sense. 
No, and, and you, but you people that may still be Catholic, you can be Christian and not Catholic. Just pointing that out. You know that church has got a lot of sin associated with it. Well, that the in the Vatican itself and underneath it, they have apparently reports are um, maybe thousands of skulls. Oh yeah, these in time, time. Yeah. Yeah, they they were fighting with others, and they had to live in the catacombs. And yeah, there's hundreds of. Ugh. Well, look at look at Paris. The the catacombs in Paris. I I don't know what the the number is, but it it's it's in the in the millions because the the, the catacombs are like gigantic, and the the walls are actually made up of skulls. So mm -hmm. I don't know. The number is just insane. It's insane how many skulls are in there. So think about that energy that's that's there, that's under the city. But then it made you wonder how they got them, you know, the holes to be able to pile them in there like that. I mean, there's just so much to build a place first, then to put the stuff in it. Then why? I mean, it's just, it's, it's outrageous to think, of all the damnation that humanity has gone through because of their belief systems. And where's the plus? Uh, yeah. <clears throat> you know, they call pagans the devils. No, they, they were the originals. They honored life. They took care of nature. Yeah. yeah. It, it was the uh, the church that labeled them pagan and they called them, oh, human sacrifice. And, uh, and like... Uh, Anastasia says the, the pagans did not sacrifice animals. No. They worship life, not death. Yeah, just like the natives. Now, I'm not saying 100% of every tribe, but I'm saying 98% at least honored because, you know, they had to have warmth and coverage and clothing, especially if you're from north, 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 <laughs> because at least at the Native Americans, we believe that we give honor and the animal knows it's helping to keep humanity alive. So it gives of itself graces, graciously because we couldn't have grown all that pelts or, I mean, um, you know, material to cover the neepies and do all that. We didn't know how to make fabric as per se that. We used every byproduct of that animal with honor to provide for us and gave thanks you know so yeah it wasn't us who went after the bison it was the white man and taking the beavers changing all the waterways and you know not just letting mom take care of herself because she knows how to do it better than us but hey i digress well i don't think it is a digress <clears throat> I mean, I think that if we just look at what works, what works is working with Gaia and nature and humanity and then animals and, you know, it's one big happy family and we're all going to survive if we all realize what our role is in the creation. And yes, I don't like the thought of killing a cow but I'll eat the hamburger. 
Right. Why? Because it, it's the only way my body knows how to exist. So if I could breathe in pollen at enough rate to never have to eat another cow, that would be fine with me. So if you look at, uh, I, I'm hesitant to even put this particular subject up on the uh, rumble station, but Karen uh, McDonald went into a discussion of and answered a lot of questions, I have to say, and this is a little bit a little bit dark here, but I think it's, I wouldn't have even brought it up except for where we're going right now. Um, and she laid out the history of the concept of death, the death cult, and the cult of the blood cult. And she gets into describing how many generations back you have this, like, for instance, uh, they take the heads of the leader of the forces they just destroyed and put it up on a, you know, a pole and stuff like this. This bloodletting was energetic. And it fueled these people with, it's very similar to what we're talking about when we talk about Lush, which people may not or may not know. It's an energy that feeds the uh, reptilian or the Draco group. Um, there's reports, we don't know if they're true or not, but it does, it does make sense because what is true is that in these uh, wrestling event things, in the arena itself, they have these big televisions and the televisions are replaced every time there is an event because these televisions are absorbing and putting in like a battery all of the terrible energy that comes out of the people in the stands watching these fights you know so um anyway she she draws a picture to this whole thing and brings it back to this concept that there is a religion behind this that was probably one of the first religions on the face of the earth. So when we well, talk, say again. One second, maybe because that's the only level that they were at to recognize that kept life going on. We're ongoing. Go ahead. Well, I think it goes back to the fact of, of anaerology, energy. And that they were really sucking up the life force of people and getting an energy boost from it. You know, because, I mean, the reason that the, the original people on the earth uh, were so close to nature, it led them to understand energies. Because if you're living that close to nature, you start to understand the energies. And from the standpoint of whoever these beings were, whether they were off-planet, I believe they were off planet that started this whole thing. And but it's permeated our society in ways that the average person can't get can't even get their heads around. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. again, as awful as it is, it's only a very limited amount of people that are 
involved in this, committed to it. There may be bit players all around that are like going along with it because of, they're afraid they're going to die if they don't. But those people that are committed to it, there's there's not that many of them. So what we need to do is just realize that they are surviving based on an energy concept that is actually foreign to us. But it, if if that's what they believe, then that's re- their reality. So it's like Walt has said before, we got to sour the louche. If the more people that come to uh, an understanding of balance, don't let yourself get involved with the drama. Keep yourself in a, in a balanced state. Don't perpetuate the energy field of fear, with fear, of um, confusion. Sometimes confusion can put you in places that is very uncomfortable. So the, all the negative things, the hate, they're trying to, to divide this country and the world. You know, just don't get involved in it. It's, it's just something that is happening in the background to us now. And what we need to do is we need to, well, there's an old army saying, you know, the best defense, best offense is a good defense. I mean, the best defense is a good offense. So instead of just sitting back and trying to defend what we believe is the right way, what we need to do is to energize ourselves, energize our property. Imagine a world where you are operating from a position of energy and that you've got more positive energy than they can possibly put out with their limited numbers of negative energy. And that's, I kind of see that's where we're at now. We have to start to get individually involved in making sacred spaces, including our own being. Comments? We have to stop being food. Yeah, right. That's it, too. Because let, let's put it, okay, if you're, if you're going to think in term, terms of side, you have a light side and you have a dark side. Well, the, the dark side cannot survive by itself. It needs to consume something in order to continue. The light side doesn't need to consume anybody. It, it By itself, it is life. It doesn't right. need to consume anybody. They're parasites. Yeah. So they need us. We don't need them. That's the, the big joke that um, so many people buy into is that, oh, we need them because, no, that's just bullshit. It's, that the agenda that they want to feed you, that you need them for this or you need, no, it's just a story. There was, there was a time, well, that's, that's what they're saying, like, um, there was a, a very nice um, uh, presentation with, with uh, between Michael Sala and uh, this uh, this fellow such a stone who used to be a, uh, a rock a rock and roll player and uh, he got involved into this this humanitarian projects throughout the, the world and they talk about this they uh, they talk about how the this what do you call it this this uh, historical time that was that was uh, literally buried the, deliberately buried because it's just the, there was a time there was a historical time I don't know how many centuries ago, if it's thousands of years ago, where 
there were you had a kingdom uh, uh, or an, like an, an empire type situation that what they called Tartaria and they they were enemies of the the Khazarians the the Khazarian uh, empire so between the two the Khazarians are the ones that won and that's that's and they, that's why they set about the task of altering history because if you if you look at the well they changed it completely because it was all pure based on electric yep and now look what we got to do we got to eat we got to wipe our asses i mean we did they didn't have bathrooms back then the story of tartarian is, is so, i love it i love it i love it I yeah love it. and uh it was uh putin who finally released the records really about, cool yeah so that that's coming to the fore something but the, what i was going to say is that if you look uh, throughout the world and different parts of the world you keep finding uh, these buried cities like for example um the larry in Elias' husband he he was actually looking into a book that sometime around the 1500s uh a man from france went to the to the vatican when he went to rome because he, he he wanted to get something from the records in in rome and he it took him 15 months to to walk all the way from france to to rome and the thing was he, when he describes the city of of italy <laughs> it's nothing it's it's just a big field i mean people to this day they have this belief that there was a big, huge metropolis. That um, Rome is a huge metropolis, and in, in that's been alive ever since the Roman Empire. That's not true. In the 1500s, it was it was just a, a a field. Yes, there were some some buildings there, but not much at all. Unlike, for example, uh, nobody can explain correctly. I mean, they give you all these excuses, but they're not very very convincing. Is that why? Are there buried cities in like what's uh, in like San San Francisco, for example? Right. There's actually where there's no explanation. Why? Where's the city from? Why is there buried city? There's no nobody gives you. They give you all these. Oh, because of the no, and it's not because it makes no sense that there is there was a historical time where all over the planet there was a like a like a mud flood. And right. it buried entire cities were buried. In fact, one I, I heard him say that when you look at the um, the uh, cathedrals, for example, that are that that are all over Europe, uh, cathedrals in Rome, there's uh, cathedrals in in other parts of Italy, cathedrals in France. When you start studying them and looking at them. They could not have been made at the time that they were. They claimed that they were made. No, because they were made by giants, not as yeah. little peons. And, and in fact, did you see that? Uh, you must have seen the photo because I know it's available to download. There is a. I, I don't remember now if it's a cathedral in Germany, but nobody can explain it, and you can't. You can't alter it. You can't damage it because it's a historical monument. But there is a cathedral. And when you look at the artwork on on one side of the cathedral, there's a man in a spacesuit. Literally, it's a man in a spacesuit with with all the accoutrements that you have for someone walking in the moon. 
analytic. And this cathedral was what made in the Middle Ages, and they have a spaceman. How do you explain that out? Because the Tartarian civilization was very advanced. They had technology, they had electricity, they and everything got buried again. A big, a big program to alter history. So the the what do we call history right now? It's it's just a big theater, a big theater play. It's just. So do you think the mud flood was Noah's flood? I I don't know. I, I that I don't I don't know. I mean, because we were at least told about that flood. Well, there's flood uh, histories all over the world, and I saw this science documentary that was working with the concept that that it's true all over the world you've got stories of this massive flood how could that possibly be and they did a whole science thing about the uh marion trench the one that's the deepest trench in the uh on the world and they said <clears throat> that if they had a earthquake down there the response to this earthquake could be a tidal wave okay that would not just be a tidal wave but it would affect the atmosphere because all of a sudden you pushed into the atmosphere a tremendous amount of of moisture and this moisture could have gotten i mean you know how far up uh some of these uh earthquake and volcano reactions there might have been volcano happening at the same time that threw it up into the atmosphere and so they talk about raining down plumes of, you know, dust from the volcano, but they they also claimed that you could have so much moisture in the air that around the world you'd have a massive amount of rain flooding. And I've never I've never been seen that duplicated. I've never seen it anywhere else. It was, you know, sometimes I think I see things that only I see. No, <laughs> because, that's probably, probably, yeah. Say again. That's probably a fact. Don't we all go through our own inner truths? You are yes. finding that truth. Yep. Yep. So there's a c concrete reason why this could be true. Right. Um, I didn't know they had found a city under San Francisco, Walt. Yeah. In fact, it's open for tourists. You can. Really? The, yeah. It's, uh, you look at it and it's, in it's perfectly intact, but it's underground. It, how did it get there? How, how do you get something underground completely intact because if, if something some kind of energy or if there if there were some kind of earthquake or something earthquakes tend to destroy things they level entire cities and entire blocks San Francisco. but That's no great. these are entire buildings right. intact you can go visit them and see them walk walk up and down and they're intact so how did they get buried underground they didn't get destroyed <laughs> <laughs> what kind of architecture? Well, plus materials used to build them. That means a lot, too, because there's different layers of rock on this planet. Yeah, and like, the, like he said about the, uh, the, the cathedrals, they were not built when they say they were built. Exactly. Because if you look at the historical time, when let's say they say uh, this cathedral was built in the Middle... No, in the Middle Ages, there was nothing, no tools available to make just, that. Just know we've all been <laughs> lied to for so yeah, long. It's a, I can't trust the Bible. When I hear that Jesus raised Lazarus, I'm like, oh, look, he's teaching CPR. <laughs> I mean, think about it. 
No, there's all kinds of common sense little things. He's like, he's what did Jesus supposedly well, say? Well, the, the thing, he, the argument. He's the, thinking greater ones too. You well, know? The, the for example, somebody brought up uh, in, in a conversation. Somebody brought up the, the for example, the, the stories of Jesus in the in the Bible are actually paralleled in other in other. For example, when you look at uh, the religious cult of the uh, of the Vikings. Right, they're parallel to other individuals. You see the, the, the part that lays a complete parallel piece by piece, the life of Jesus made by, why? Why, why are these totally disconnected uh, group, human groups, all sharing the same story? They just, they just altered the names? And right. yet you have the same, you know, what's going on here? Well, I'm not in charge of the programming, so I cannot answer that John. But it's all just a mess with our heads, man. It's like a Mandela effect. No, oh, it's bear bears. No, it's boo bears. No, it's... It really is. That's what it seems like to me. It's just messing with us. You mentioned the Groundhog Day. There's a, uh, in, in I, this is esoteric teachings. Irma that says I, that there is no sound. What? what? I hear you. Ir, Irma says, no, but we are on Skype. She's listening to the radio. Is there a, a problem with the, uh, the, the, the broadcaster? She no. says no sound. Just tell her to um, push her player off and turn it on again. Okay. Type it in yeah, and that's what I'm going to do. I don't know what that glitch is. I, 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 I there's so many glitches. Um, what were we talking about just now? No, we're live. I just heard us. Huh? I did the player and turned it on, and we're here. Yeah, I'm sure we're here. Everything says <clears throat> it's just a fluky thing that happens with that player. Right. Uh, well, sometimes some, it lets me post, and sometimes it says "f you." I'm like, okay, well, I'll try it twice, and it usually lets me on the second try. There's so many. There's so many. You know, Derek. Derek is the one that pays for the podcast station, and uh, you know, there's a number of different things that we use to make this all happen. Right, and he's right. he's the one that pays for it, so he has to take care of these things. Thank God it's not me; otherwise, <laughs> it would be Walt. <laughs> I'd make Walt do it. But um, it's one of those situations where the podcast station that we have, the 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 website, if you hit on Google Podcast, it wasn't going through. And I thought we were being uh, censored, but no, it turns out that Google had made some change that wasn't re being recorded on the podcast. So now if you go to the podcast and you happen to like Google better, you're signed up with it or whatever, just hit the Google, it should go through. If it doesn't, let us know. Um, so there's there's that. The Rumble Station. Okay, so last night I was putting up a, a show and it was, this is so complicated. It. It was showing some stuff, and it ended up that I've got two stations up on Rumble. One's called Cosmic Reality Radio, and that's the one that's got not too many. I think 200 and 
70 some uh, followers. Um, and then I've got another one, Cosmic Reality, that doesn't have any followers. But Why? that. Who created the second one? Well, I don't know. Walt, it could have been me when I was trying to sign in or sign up for it. I don't know. But I couldn't find any place that I could get help with this thing from Rumble. It was very strange. So if you happen to, you know, go try to stay with Cosmic Reality Radio simply because that's got the followers numbers happening. The other one doesn't. I don't know what it is. And then they started monitorizing. And it's sort of like to get the count of how many people actually view it and to have the episode uh, in the search, I have to allow this monetization, which luckily right now is just a banner underneath the title. And I, you know, but again, these people, uh, they, they make money off of advertising. I'm not against doing it. But just so you know, I think I've made one cent in four years. <laughs> So, you know, um, so it, that thing, um, and there's a few other things, but they're not really important. Uh, so we were talking about woo-woo stuff. <laughs> Mona, where were we? Walt, where were we? <laughs> we are six minutes away from going home. Yes, that's true. That's true. We go home. Well, if we don't have anything to say, let's just look at my notes that I made earlier and see if there's anything interesting. Well, I had to get busy and get in my email and now look for, what did you say, Rumble? Rumble. Yeah. Um, well, this is, this is good news because Robert Kennedy is suing YouTube and Google alleging misinformation policies violated his First Amendment right. And, of course, he's the head of the Children's Health Defense and founder and chairman. Um, this week he filed a lawsuit. Oops, that thing is in my way. I can't read it. Against YouTube and its parent company, Google, alleging the social media giant violated his First Amendment rights when they sent her interviews he did with Joe Rogan, Jordan Peterson, and others. According to the complaint, YouTube operates as a public forum. The digital equivalent of a town square is such it cannot remove protected speech, especially political speech based on its viewpoint. There is sufficiently close nexus between YouTube and the federal government such that YouTube's actions may be fairly treated as that of the government itself. So that's, uh, that's nice. You know, at least something has happened. Because now Robert Kennedy is, you know, running for president of the United States under the Democratic Party. So when he comes out with these things, he's still being, you know, ostracized by mainstream media. But he's getting a following. And it looks very unlikely that uh, Joe Biden is going to run for president. I mean... So do you really have Cosmic Reality Radio on Rumble? Yes. That's what it's called? Yes. It's not coming in for me. Weird. Take is out there, the ra- is is there the, any way to identify the two? Uh, they no, that that was no, that was the problem is that 
I couldn't. I couldn't. And, you know, I don't want to get into it. It was so complicated. Well, but I tried that. I tried to find out why, why, because it wouldn't show me that I had two stations. It was accidentally I got to the, find out that. And then when I would work with the two stations, they all had the same information regarding who owned it and, you know, all, all of all my same thing. And as far as I know, I've only got one uh, sign in. So I think this happened when they, the new company took over is what I and think. And they have happened. zero tech support? I couldn't find it. No. Wow. And so anyway, I'm sorry for the confusion, but what the heck? <laughs> I don't like it that they don't have clo closed captioning. If you want to get closed captioning, you actually have to pay for it. Really? Yeah. Yep. It's a you have to have a, get a higher grade, so you get you have to pay for it in order to get closed captioning. They don't have it by default, which is very convenient in YouTube. YouTube by default you cannot turn it on or turn it off. Sometimes there are presenters that have such a thick accent that you. You, you, if the only way to find out what they're talking about is by turning on closed captioning. At least you can read what they're saying. Well, in defense of Rumble, Google owns YouTube. <laughs> right. You know, they're mining the information, the data bank. Mm. They don't really care about that sort of thing. So, yeah. But Rumble is, uh, you know, a group of. Uh, White hats, basically, people that know the truth. That I think they must have bought. I gotta see if I can find the history of what happened because the, the guy that actually created Rumble made it so that it would be for cats and dogs and people's pets and stuff. But he had a very secure uh, platform that when YouTube was censoring everybody, these guys uh, found out and uh, you know, and, and started using it, but I think they probably bought them out because now there's a different uh, people being listed as the head of it. So, anyway, I'm sorry Dolly wasn't here. We did our best, Dolly. Well, we did good. We did good. Yes, we did. And is there anything else you guys wanted to mention, Mona? I was still looking for your rumble so i could sign up but i can't find it okay I'll, I'll get the uh the link in the chat as soon as we hang up here and i'll put it in the skype too so you'll have it there it's, it's strange i mean it's like i did i spent way over an hour it was like two o'clock in the morning and i said i gotta stop this i can't seem to because, yes, I could delete a channel, but what if I delete the radio, Cosmic Reality Radio, instead of Cosmic Reality? And I couldn't really determine which one it was which. Wow. They don't make it easy, then. No, but they're duplicating. the. I upload on one, it duplicates on the other. It's very strange. I don't know what the hell's happening. We've got all kinds of questions we'll never find an answer to. <laughs> Probably Probably not, but um, so we'll see you guys on Tuesday when we got a new lineup happening, and I appreciate you all for being here. Be safe, and we will see you next time. Good night. Say what? 
Say What radio show with no agenda. It's always a surprise. But if we're not having fun, we're doing something wrong. <laughs> 